Um, well, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Drones for Good podcast. Um, as you know by now, Andrew Crow is my name, um, Director of Defence and National Security here at Mirrigan Raz Consulting. Um, today we're talking, funnily enough, uh, about some emerging, um, some, some growing, some outstanding technology from an outstanding Australian company. Uh, and I'm really excited today to have um, Dario Valencia here. Dario is the founder and CTO of Carbonics. How are you, Dario? Uh, great, and uh, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. You know, I'm, 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 myself and our company are really passionate about you know, Australian organisations um, you know, getting involved, get, getting stuck into these types of uh, technologies and, and building things here in Australia. And um, that's what you guys are really doing, aren't you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we do um, the, the construction of the aircraft, the avionics, the integration, the flight testing and all the operations uh, right here in Sydney. Awesome. And uh, really keen to get stuck into that in a lot of detail. Um, so you're based in Sydney. Are you? Is, is the whole company based in Sydney? Uh, yeah, we have one headquarters. Um, we, we were based out of Cockatoo Island initially, uh, which is a, wow. a bit of a story in itself. Uh, as of just over two years ago, we moved to a place in Artarman. So that's just okay. uh, north, north of the Harbour Bridge, uh, North Sydney. Okay, awesome. And before we get stuck into Carbonics, um, Dario, let's talk about you and, and your background. Now, I've done a bit of um, LinkedIn stalking and, and I've met you a couple of times in the past and you have one of the most um, interesting, I guess, um, roads or routes into, into the, uh, uh, the un, uncrewed and ARPAS sort of um, uh, industry. What's your background and where have you come from? Because I know it involves big, sail- uh, big boats and, um, and racing boats and stuff in the past too. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the bulk of my career has been in, um, in competitive yacht racing. Uh, so that's everything from the design to the campaign management and, and uh, development of racing sailboats. Uh, the genesis of that has really been a lifelong interest in uh, how things work, basically. Um, <laughs> and I was exposed to, to sailboats quite, quite early on. Um, uh, as a child, just, just getting that um, initial fascination with uh, how a sailboat works and how it, it uses uh, air, which is effectively invisible, uh, to generate motion, uh, and that takes you into the interaction of uh, sails with air and uh, hulls and foils with water. Um, and I, I spent a lot of time experimenting with that, just you know, building model boats and sailing them across the, the pool as a child. Um, got into uh, competitive sailing in, in my teens. Um, was very fortunate uh, that in Australia it's, it's possible to walk down to a sailing club uh, basically make a best of yourself and get invited out, um, get given a go, um, and, and you get to learn it hands-on and to be exposed to people who have experience, um, who will, will mentor you if you have the, the inclination to, to be involved and to contribute. Uh, and, and that basically got me to, to the point of being involved in sort of semi-professional and eventually professional um, ocean racing, um, obviously Sydney to Hobart, all the uh, races up and down the East Coast. Um, and, and eventually the opportunity to be involved in a around-the-world race campaign. Um, and fr- from there, um, got into the America's Cup and did um, effectively, depending on how you look at it, three or four campaigns um, with the uh, Wilder Cup was in Monohulls, um, and that involved being in Auckland uh, and in Valencia, uh, working on America's Cup boats. Um, so, so that really sort of outlines my my interest in the aerodynamics the hydrodynamics and the structures um a lot of that period in the america's cup was was actually bringing carbon fiber online as a viable 
alternative for building the, the hulls and the rigs. Um, and so I, I learned that technology in that environment when it was being developed uh, or adapted uh, to that, that sort of use. Uh, so to answer your question, the, the connection with, with drones is, um, I, I guess it's, it's obvious on one level, but not so obvious on another. Um, it, it's the same thing. You, you have a, a, an airframe that has to be as light as possible and as aerodynamically efficient mm. as possible. And uh, having materials that were developed in the competitive environment of America's Cup and applying them uh, to a drone means you, you, you gain this efficiency that's not otherwise available. Um, there's a connection there with radio-controlled racing yachts as well, which is also very analogous. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I guess that. So that there's a real. There, there are some real parallels between um, you know yacht racing and and you know drones and RPAs. That there are actually some similarities, I guess, in in what you're trying to achieve. Uh, at, at at multiple levels, actually. So um, when you look at the the vehicle itself, uh, there's to do with the the fact that especially a a yacht that performs. Uh, has to be inherently balanced. So it's not just about it, it has to sail along nicely, but all the forces have to be in harmony. The, the positioning of the weight and the rig and the foils and the crew uh, all has to be coordinated in a way to, to effectively minimize resistance and, and use the available energy as efficiently as possible. Uh, but then I also look at it as an organizational parallel where um, if, if you look at an America's Cup team or, or any competitive sporting team in, in that sense, even you know, there's a parallel there with Formula One, um, you have uh, a set of arbitrary constraints or rules where you have to design a vehicle that, that fits within these constraints and, and does a certain thing, uh, and you have to be ready for the race when, when the time comes. Um, and so that encourages you to uh, allocate resources efficiently to, to make sure that your effort goes into uh, achieving the goal rather than anything ancillary or tangential to it. Um, and it also encourages collaboration because the best teams have uh, a spread of individuals with different talents that, that work together so that they can each contribute as much as possible. Um, so when you look at uh, the challenge of uh, a drone and particularly aerial data capture at the scale that we're doing, um, you need an airframe that, that will keep everything in the air and make best use of the available energy. Uh, and also the lighter it is, the, the, the less it contributes to the overall weight of, of the structure. Uh, then you need the command and control infrastructure, so the avionics and, and the various mechanisms to keep the thing flying. Uh, and then you need the user interface uh, to make sure that it does what the user wants it to do and, and ideally to minimize the, the reliance on uh, skill and processes and automate as much as possible. Uh, and so to achieve that, um, you need a, a team that has all the various capabilities. And so that's everything from uh, the management and the finances to the design, to the construction, to the operations. Uh, and so if you look at it in, in, in that sense, um, the, there are a lot of parallels because all, all that you're doing in a, in a competitive environment is focusing resources. Um, and so being able to do that commercially uh, means you can achieve uh, things that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Yeah, wow. And, and who would have thought there was such, uh, yeah, such alignment and so many parallels between um, racing yachts and, and drones? I think it's pretty cool. From a technical perspective, what, what's your technical background? So, so I'm, I'm assuming and guessing you're, you're some type of engineer by, by background? Uh, I spent some time studying mechanical engineering um, and I, I actually <laughs> I dropped out in the end. 
um, <laughs> I, I went back and uh, finished it in architecture, funnily enough, just because um, the usual story that your, your parents tell you, you have to have a degree. So I ticked that box. Uh, but to be honest, I, I never really practiced, I guess, and used what I'm qualified in because it's um, always found myself, uh, I guess, in, in fields where the, the, the edges are being pushed. So um, yeah. the stuff that we were doing in, in America's Cup 10 years ago um, is probably finding its way into the various curriculums now. Uh, so I guess I, I was too much in a hurry to spend time at uni, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to be, I guess. Um, let's uh, let's shift, shift gears a little bit and talk about Carbonics. So um, you're obviously one of the founders. Um, there was a couple of you that, that founded Carbonics. Can you can you give us an insight into the start of Carbonics? You know, when you guys started, what you were trying to achieve, what what was the problem set? You know, that that you were sort of focused on. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I guess the decision to, to start the business was um, a, a number of factors, but the main one was having this technology that I knew had an application uh, commercially. So again, it's the advanced composites uh, initially, but also the uh, design and analysis tools and the, the organizational structure. Uh, and so I, I was on my own uh, at the beginning, and that was uh, almost exactly 10 years ago, so 2000. Uh, end of 2011, um, I actually started the, the legal entity that, that became Carbonics. Um, for the first four or five years, uh, it was really about demonstrating that technology in, in a commercial application. And, and we did that mainly through um, effectively uh, race boats that people could buy. So uh, something called an A-class catamaran, which is an, an 18 foot long uh, single-handed cat. Uh, which is available to effectively weekend sailors, but goes right up to sort of a fairly high level of um, professionalism. Uh, so we developed uh, that 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 product, uh, went to a, a bunch of regattas, uh, got some decent results, uh, generated some orders that way, started selling them. Um, and along that process, we crossed paths also with Team New Zealand, who was developing the foiling catamarans for the San Francisco America's Cup. Um, and there was a, a bit of a, a sort of close, close circle there where we ended up supplying uh, foils uh, for them at a smaller scale to, to test for their, their America's Cup boat. Um, but the, the, the aim was always to apply that technology to different fields. Uh, and, you know, there's a bit of trial and error involved there. We, we, we did things like retrofitting uh, hydrofoils to larger private racing boats. Um, we did some architectural stuff, uh, you know, carbon fiber stairs and building facades and things like that. Uh, and it was really this, this uh, looking at different problems that we could solve with this technology. Um, the drones came about um, as, as a, an obviously a, a possible application, and it was really a contract uh, coming out of Spain uh, with a company over there that was also founded by a, a former America's Cup team member uh, called D3 Applied Technologies. Um, and they specialize in very advanced uh, CFD um, computational fluid dynamics. Uh, so they, they had a, effectively putting together a bid for a, a, a defense tender over there uh, and identified Carbonics uh, as a, a party to that bid to actually uh, engineer and build the aircraft uh, to, to their aerodynamic design. So, so that was sort of the partnership that got us into drones. And, and then after that, um, we saw the opportunity to take that design and commercialize it. Um, again, at that point, it was still uh, myself as the sort of founding 
shareholder uh, and we're building up a team. I think at that point we had four or five uh, people in the workshop and a couple of designers. Um, the, the next step was uh, adding VTOL, uh, which is obviously the, the, the biggest problem um, at the time and probably still now uh, with the, the sort of drones in the, in the size range that we're talking about for the missions that we're talking about uh, is the difficulty of deployment. Uh, and so the, the Cometa, which was the, the airframe that came out of the project with D3, uh, was catapult launched and landed with a parachute. Um, looking at the applications that, that we wanted to go after, so maybe it's worth taking a step back and, and looking at that. Um, the drone landscape, as you know, is quite varied. And it goes from everything from a, a little multi-rotor that, that's effectively now commoditized and, and very much something that you can buy off the shelf and use. Uh, all the way up to uh, a military drone that's effectively a, a full-size aircraft. Um, where we sit is, is somewhere in between where we can carry, uh, we saw a gap for carrying something like um, a Regal LiDAR in the order of five kilos uh, for um, an extended mission for more than what a multi-rotor can carry. So uh, two hours electric and six to 10 hours petrol. Uh, now to do that, you need a fixed wing aircraft. And to launch a fixed-wing aircraft, you need a, a means of accelerating up to uh, beyond the stall speed and, and then a means of arresting it at the other end. Uh, you want to do that precisely without overstressing the payload, and you want to do that in an, in an area that's not necessarily an airport with a runway. Um, yeah. And so the, the VTOL was, was the low-hanging fruit, so to speak, and, and it's, it's technically challenging. Uh, but again, given that we can regain the the losses that we get from having to incorporate a VTOL system uh, by having a very lightweight, efficient construction method. Uh, we effectively had a go at doing that. Um, now, the, the, the idea originally was to, to build this airframe and, and buy either off-the-shelf components or sell it uh, to a third party who would then integrate it. Um, and we soon found out that the, the way the industry was evolving, and, and it makes sense in hindsight, uh, customers want a, a full system because they're interested in, in the data at the end of the day, in, in the, the, the aerial data capture. Uh, they don't want to buy an airframe from company A, avionics from company B, training from company mm. C, a payload from company D, and, and become the integrators. So the sort of very basic parallel is in um, airlines, uh, Qantas doesn't build their own aircraft. Uh, mm. So we, we wanted to be the Boeing, so to speak, to... Um, effectively uh, build the airframe, uh, own the IP around the avionics and do the integration and, and give a, a finished package. And over time, that actually grew to uh, becoming an operator, which we had to do because we do a lot of test flying, uh, which involved pro procedures, manuals, uh, certification and all of that stuff, uh, which we can then uh, use to help the customer adopt the system. Uh, and that goes into everything from, you know, how do you insure it? How do you maintain it? Um, how do you, do you make sure that that transition is as, um, as seamless as possible from what a customer might be doing at the moment with land-based or manned aircraft-based surveying uh, to adopting uh, our system? Um, and so at that point, uh, it sort of made sense to take on uh, capital. Uh, and so we did a, a very early round of, of funding back in, I think it would have been around 2014, 15. Uh, and that's when um, the, the first lot of the current shareholders came on board. Um, and that's really when we decided to 
expand the capabilities to include the avionics integration and the flying. Uh, and the last five years has really been around going from being an advanced composite manufacturer, which is still the core capability of the business, to being a fully integrated drone solutions provider. And to do that, you need, uh, it is capital intensive, you, you need engineers, you need electronic specialists, mm. you need a, a way to make the PCBs to do the wiring, uh, to do your flight testing, to do your training. Uh, and so that's really sort of brings us to today. Yeah, and there's um, your your marketing department or your, your public, affa- public affairs department has been busy, I think, in the last couple of weeks. Um, two, two big things I want to talk about today that have obviously recently come out. One is um, around your you know outstanding um, capital raise that just occurred and also um, a really exciting partnership you guys have now got or, or uh, engagement you've got with Ausgrid um, using your drones in support of some of their operations. Let's talk firstly about the uh, the capital raise if we can. So um, as been reported in the last couple of weeks and um, the Financial Review did quite a, quite a large um, article on it, um, you raised $6.3 million. So first of all, I guess, congratulations, you know, from the industry, you know, for getting that. That's an outstanding result. Um, can you tell us more about that? But what are you looking to do with that capital raise and, and where's that sort of money going to be invested into? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, so again, that was, um, we call it a late seed round because it was effectively the second uh, time we went out to the market for, for capital. Um, the, the idea there is um, effectively to prove the, the drone as a service idea. So um, as I said, we, we, we've gone along this journey where we've gone from just building airframes to providing a complete system. Um, and we're now in the process of um, handing over that complete system to the sort of initial launch customers. Uh, We've had uh, commercial traction in the past. So we've supplied um, flying services to Fujitsu, among others, and we've sold an airframe to Hitachi for, uh, at the time it was a meat and livestock association uh, partnership uh, for integrating our system into their uh, process intelligence around precision farming. Um, and we've okay. sold airframes to RMIT, among others, as, as uh, test beds, et cetera. Uh, but really, this, this new model of um, providing a finished system and all the support around it, um, the, the capital was really around accelerating that. So it's saying uh, we've come out of a very intense period of R&D. We've got a product that's got uh, close to 2,000 flying hours on it that's proven, that's reliable. Uh, we're in the process of integrating new features and new payloads. Um, and now we want to effectively go out there and partner with um, uh, the likes of Osgrid being a great example uh, to, to prove what this thing can do. And, and the capital really allows us to scale, to, to go and do this on multiple fronts uh, and, and also to grow our engineering capabilities and our production. Uh, so it's really, a, a, I guess you'd call it a scale-up capital to, to go from uh, a startup that has a great product to a company that can supply this product at scale. Yeah, fantastic. Um, and to, to round out the discussion around the um, the capital raise, um, Quickstep, who who's, you know, will be pretty well known to a lot of our listeners, was one of the major investors as part of that. They're quite excited. Um, what do you think attracts a company like that to Carbonics? What, why do you think they've got involved? Uh, yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, they uh, Quick Quickstep has been looking at the the strategy of becoming involved in unmanned uh, for some time. Uh, and, and they see it as, uh, obviously, it's, it's a, a growing field. There's, there's probably more opportunity there than there is in the, in the manned or the conventional space. Mm. Um, and that exposure isn't just as a carbon fiber manufacturer. Uh, 
their strategy is to be involved in services as well, uh, which which makes sense in terms of sort of reoccurring interactions with customers. Uh, so so they've looked at um, servicing uh, the, the products that they build uh, and being exposed to uh, what, what we are doing effectively, so that the whole package of, of the drone space. Um, now, partnering with someone like Carbonics means they, they get the advantage of uh, effectively a nimble and, and young company that can uh, adapt and uh, pivot if necessary, but uh, adapt and, and grow and, and be able to, to deliver this service in a way that's very specialized and very focused. Uh, but the reciprocal of that is that um, they, they can provide us the support in scaling manufacturing. Uh, so the, there's a mutual benefit there where the, it's just a synergy, basically, instead of us duplicating the scaled carbon fiber uh, infrastructure that they have, um, we, we can use theirs uh, and they can uh, take advantage of, of our exposure to the, the unmanned market and the services market. So it's about going from being uh, just a manufacturer where you, you hand over the product and that's the end of it. Uh, to having an ongoing relationship with with the customer and capturing more of that value chain in the end. Okay, and and the the drones as a service concept I think is fantastic, and, and the fact that you guys offer um, everything end to end is a really amazing you know service offering that you've got. Can you tell me about um, engagement with the client? So so is, is is the operating model that you'll always go out and operate on behalf of the client, or is the idea that um, that that could be done, but a client could also buy? you know, your aircraft uh, completely and you just provide maintenance or something? How, how does that work with, with your clients? Uh, it's the latter. So it, it's we, if you, depending on the, the business model of the customer, basically, yeah. um, if, if they are, a, a lot of operators obviously have um, a, there's a barrier there in, in the initial capital outlay. So to, to buy a drone, uh, yes, it'll pay itself over time and pay back, pay itself um, back over time. But, um, there is this initial barrier where it's, it's, it's a significant acquisition if you're a small operator. Um, mm. If you're a larger operator, it, it may not be an issue. Uh, and so we accommodate for, for both. Um, the, the idea is that you can effectively pick from a menu. So if you're already an established operator and you have your REOC in place, uh, you have your procedures, you have your insurance, uh, you have a relationship with a maintenance partner, then, then all you need is, is to buy the drone and be trained on type. Um, if you're a, a larger organization, uh, which is actually attractive for us in terms of uh, it, it's a scalable proposition, um, mm. you may want to go from what you're doing today, which is you pick up the phone, you call a helicopter operator and you say, fly over X and give me the data, which is really easy. Uh, and you want to uh, replicate that with drones. So we want to be able to, to offer any and all levels of support around that, that outcome. Uh, so if, if the customer already has some of the things in place, then we're happy to work with them. Uh, if they don't, then we can supply the lot. Um, and, and it's also worth noting that um, we don't, uh, I guess we, we have a very clear distinction about where our capability ends, so to speak. So for example, for payloads, uh, we don't make a payload. We, we work with established proven payload providers uh, and that collaboration works well because the payload needs a platform to fly on and the platform needs a payload. So, um, and they're good at the, payloads and you're good at aircraft and avionics and it's a, it's a great way to collaborate and actually get the best system as opposed to everyone doing, you know, not, not quite having the best, you know, the best payloads because, you know, you don't really do payloads. So I think, I think that's a, that's a great way for the industry to work together. 
Exactly. Yeah. And then we have um, even within Australia, let alone internationally, uh, there's a like of uh, the likes of, you know, Sent Vision Technologies, formerly um, mm. uh, yeah, Australian UAV Vision. Uh, UAV Vision, yeah. Um, that, that have developed that technology and they specialize in it. And, and similarly with, with things like you know, advanced navigation, doing um, GPS and uh, various navigation specialists, um, you do have this ability to pick the best from the, the landscape, so to speak, and also to feed back on each other and uh, help to improve those products. Uh, and ultimately the, the, the platform benefits from it and the customer benefits from it. Yeah, and AVT is a really good example, isn't it? You know, similar to you guys, where they've they've found their niche, and you know, whilst they're not an Australian-owned company, that they're owned um, by an American company, um, mm. they spend a hell of a lot of money in this country, you know, on R and D mm. and um, developing specific payloads for defence and, and civilian applications and everything else. And um, yeah, it's, it's it's a really good example of where they've they've chosen their niche, just like you mm. guys have kind of chosen um, your niche around aircraft and avionics and, and that part of the complex system. Mm. Um, now, excitingly, and again, you know, this for the second time, congratulations, you know, there was a, um, a significant release in the last fortnight that our listeners have probably seen um, around an engagement between you guys and Ausgrid. Um, for those that don't know Ausgrid, um, Ausgrid is a massive um, electricity distributor or provider across Australia's east coast. Um, they're enormous and, and everyone on this side of the country kind of knows who they are. Um, Dara, can you talk to that engagement or talk to that, you know, release and, and what you guys are doing with Ausgrid? Uh, absolutely. So Osgrid is, is working on several fronts uh, to effectively on the, the digital transformation um, agenda, I guess. Um, they, there was another release recently about them using drones to untangle power lines, which is uh, using a, high, a, a heavy lift multi-rotor to physically manipulate infrastructure, which is fantastic. Um, mm. the, the art where we come in is uh, in, in the uh, infrastructure inspection uh, and surveillance piece. So uh, effectively running uh, the power lines with a sort of eye in the sky perspective uh, and being able to identify any issues, whether it's um, deterioration of, of the equipment itself or encroachment of, of vegetation that might uh, lead to a bushfire risk. Um, so it's really giving them that visibility over the network and giving them that inf- data that can then be integrated into the rest of their processes uh, to efficiently look after the infrastructure and do uh, early, interve- early intervention maintenance and sort of build a digital twin of the infrastructure and track it over time. Um, and really, it's, it's on one level, it's no different to what they're currently doing with helicopters. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. there are advantages there in terms of the, the carbon footprint and the disruption on the ground and the cost. Uh, but what we offer is effectively you're flying lower and slower, closer to the target with higher resolution. Uh, so you can get better information and you can reduce the number of false positives, uh, which then brings efficiencies down the road where you're not sending people out to look at things that don't need to be looked at. Um, mm. Obviously, that, that's a, it's a fairly long-term strategy in terms of the rollout. Uh, so to take advantage of our system, uh, you, you need to be flying BV loss because you're talking about long distances. Um, and so there's a, there's a learning curve there and a process that, that is underway to uh, achieve that BV loss regularly. Um, and it's sort of a walk, 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 then run approach where uh, we know we can get the data, we know we can fly the missions. Now it's integrating our system into their processes and doing all the, 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 the various uh, CASA uh, approvals and so on. 
so so really it's it's, it's about getting uh, good visibility on their infrastructure and uh, to do that you need a high resolution sensor and you need a platform to fly it on yeah and the, the CASA stuff interests me as well you know everyone everyone loves to talk about CASA and approvals um, so who's doing those CASA approvals is Carbonics submitting those and flying under your REOC or, or are they being done by Osgrid and flown under under a REOC they may hold uh, I think there'll be a mix of both so um, Osgrid is, is does have a REOC and they're, they're in the process of um, learning that um, sort of incorporating those those processes uh, we're actually collaborating with Hover UAV um, on that front um, about, uh, I guess, coordinating and facilitating the liaison with CASA and the compliance side of it. Um, again, it basically, it's, it's taking the characteristics of our aircraft and what we've already done as Carbonics um, and applying it to the Osgrid use case. So again, that's another example of a really good collaboration. Um, eventually it, it will be done under the Osgrid REOC, um, but I think there'll be opportunities where, uh, for example, bushfire season, there'll, there'll be an additional requirement that they may then rely on us to come and supplement what they already have. Um, and, and it's really a, an, a, an evolving uh, situation as well because we're, we're learning as we go and uh, as we understand the implications better, um, we'll sort of make better decisions about uh, how to optimise the whole thing. But the intention is to effectively give them the capability to carry out the missions. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and um, you know, hopefully we can bring this thing up here to Queensland when bushfire season starts at, at some point and, and start flying it around. Um, I, I want to ask you your thoughts on, on that as well. You know, every single year we have a bunch of bushfires and floods and cyclones and everything. And every single year we seem to talk about why we're not using drones as much in, in those applications. And I hear from a lot of people, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the approving authorities, oh, the airspace, it's too difficult, it's too difficult to manage, which is, which is just a cop-out given um, the, level of, you know, the, the level of sophistication with some of our systems now. Why do you think we don't use drones as, as much? What are, what are some of the major barriers to not getting, you know, carbonics in the air more often and in support of some of these major disasters? Hmm. So it's an interesting one. It's very complex, obviously. Um, there's hmm. a political dimension to it as well. Uh, but on the practical side, um, I think there is a perception that you need uh, something to be very um, proven uh, to, to be used in, in a sort of high-pressure situation in, in an emergency setting. Um, I think that the pathway into that is to use drones more in routine scanning, so things like understanding the fuel load, uh, you know, seeing how close vegetation is to... Uh, power lines and critical infrastructure and, and even homes. Um, the, the process for obtaining BV loss has been uh, fairly clunky and, and that's because it's a new thing. And um, in fairness, CASA has been very collaborative in, in trying to get work with industry to figure out where the risks lie and how to address them. Um, there's obviously a lag involved in that and, and the technology will always be ahead of where the regulation is. And that, that's just how it is with new regulation or with new technology. Um, I think the, the, the sort of top-down approach is uh, there's a vague idea that drones are all things to all people and they're going to solve all our problems. Uh, and there's a gap between that and the reality of what drones can actually do and where the capabilities lie today. Um, and, and honestly, I, I think the, the industry is probably not as advanced as people give it credit for in terms of... Um, the claims that a lot of manufacturers and suppliers are making because the reality is that uh, to make a reliable autonomous flying system, 
uh, is very hard and mm. requires a, a lot of um, testing and validation and, and to do that methodically. Uh, like as an example, the, the requirement for redundancies, uh, it's all well and good to say you've got three airspeed sensors and four GPSs and five extra lift motors, but if it all comes to uh, one battery or one rail or one, uh, <laughs> the, there's, there's a... There's a superficial understanding, but the, the real engineering work to uh, prove the, the real-world reliability and the actual um, empirical level of redundancy rather than sort of the theoretical or the on paper um, does need time and it does need investment. And again, as Carbonics, we've, we've put in the work. We've, we've been doing that for five years. We're still mm -hmm. doing it. We're out there with an actual product that's flying, that's proven, um, I'm afraid that can't be said for a lot of other uh, claims that are being made, but also there are still limitations. We're, we're still in the process of developing, for example, the SATCOM connectivity, which is vital because without that, you can't really have BVLOS unless you have repeaters all over the place. Um, mm. So I think that the skepticism of what the, what things can actually do, but there's a, there's a perception that they can do everything, which is sort of a, a contradiction. Um, yeah. And... I think it's it's maybe better information um, from the drone industry to things like the providers of critical infrastructure uh, maintenance uh, might, might be something that needs to be done. And this is an education piece over time. Uh, it's about going out there, improving it, um, and about making the investment. And so linking to that, Doe, where's the industry headed, do you think? So if you could look, you know, five years into the future, what's, what's Carbonics doing, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the best case scenario? Yeah, so in, in the, the next two years or so, it's, it's really about getting out there, proving these, uh, as I was saying before, uh, going out there and doing it and getting the data to prove that it's possible. Uh, that also involves adding features, so everything from more autonomy, uh, better uh, detect and avoid, uh, better connectivity, more payloads, uh, possibly carrying more mass. Um, that, that sort of gets us to a point where we're now credible that, you know, we can fly uh, and the thing will do what it's supposed to do. Um, the next step is integrating that into, again, existing processes and workflows. Uh, so taking that data and doing something useful with it um, and integrating into regulated airspace. So, so the next big one is not just fly BVLOS when there's no other aircraft around, but fly as part of the regular traffic flow. Uh, so following all the rules, carrying all the, the, the equipment that needs to be carried and, and following those processes uh, such that basically an aircraft will be an aircraft, whether it's manned or unmanned, uh, same rules, same uh, limitations and same interactions. Uh, and that then gets us to operating remotely. So. The ideal scenario is uh, you're not out in the field uh, looking at the drone while it's flying. You're, you're sitting in an office in a control center somewhere mm -hmm. where it makes sense to, to be co-located with the rest of your business and the drone is out there doing its thing. And eventually that means um, you know, automated landing stations and multiple aircraft uh, tagging along, um, tagging each other on different missions. Uh, but really it's that going from very specialized, very skill-reliant, very limited operation to being a, a common routine thing that's actually taking advantage of the technology at scale. Yeah, it makes, it, it makes it, um, a hell of a lot of sense, um, that's for sure. Hey, um, Daro, we might look at wrapping it up there. Um, we're getting a fair way down, but I've got so much more to talk to you about, so perhaps um, we can get back together in, in you know, a few weeks' time maybe and 
um, talk about some things. I'm, I'm really interested in your thoughts around, you know, emerging technologies and how they're going to be integrated into your platforms and stuff too. So if it's okay with you, we, we might um, commit to doing this again in the near term. Absolutely. It's a big subject and it keeps changing. So happy to chat. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Dario, look, uh, again, I think um, companies like, you know, um, companies like Harbonics and, as we mentioned before, the heavy lift aircraft that, that's been provided by InfraVision and, and their partnership with Free Space, all Australian-owned companies, you know, all here in, in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne, um, I think it's awesome. And the way that people are collaborating and the way that people are trusting each other is the way that we're going to go forward um, in this industry. And, um, I remember on, on the podcast, someone said to me, um, professionalism develops credibility or something along those lines. And, mm. and that keeps resonating with us that the more professional we are, then the more credibility we're going to have um, into the future. Absolutely. Um, Dario, congratulations again on, on the fantastic cap raise. I think it's awesome, you know, that we see these types of figures getting thrown around. And I can only imagine that the good stuff you guys are going to do with, with that investment and, and those companies on board. Um, and secondly, with the, the Oscrid um, work as well, you know, it's, it's fantastic. So I guess congratulations from, from Murigan and congratulations from, uh, from the whole industry. Cool. Thanks again. And thanks for having me. No worries. Ladies and gents, hopefully um, you enjoy the podcast uh, today. Once again, thanks for listening to the Drones for Good podcast. Uh, if you're new around here and you enjoy the show, please don't forget to subscribe uh, to the podcast. Please give it a rating. Tell me uh, it's good. Tell me it's bad. Just give us some feedback uh, and also tell us who you want to hear from. We, we'd love to have your thoughts and suggestions on, on who we should uh, get onto the show. Again, Dario, thank you so much, mate, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll chat again soon. Pleasure. Pleasure.